I think most of you would agree that one of the greatest blessings we have in our lives is our friendships. And we may not do this on purpose, it doesn't happen consciously, but if we stop and think about it, our friends are kind of arranged in concentric circles. Uh, We have those friends who are out there that we kind of know, we enjoy them, we spend a little bit of time with them. And they're in that kind of outer circle of friends. But then we have some that we spend more time with, that we seek out more often. And they're moved in. And we finally work our way down to that inner circle of friends, those really close friends. And they may be few in our lives. It's hard to sustain a lot of intense relationships like that. But when you find those people in your life, they are truly the blessing of your life. Now, the best thing about having really close friends is that you can speak openly and honestly with them. Uh, You don't have to try to put on a front. You don't have to try to pretend you're something you're not. You can just be yourself. And also, you can expect that they're the same way and that they not only are friends that can be with you during the good times. They're not only friends that are just fun to be with, but they are the people you know will be there for you during the difficult times. And you also know that they have the freedom to confront you. You know, all of us at times develop attitudes that are not real healthy. All of us can sometimes get to spending our time doing things that are really destructive or perhaps just kind of diversions. And we need those friends who can come to us and say, you know, I hate to tell you this, but you need to think about this. People who can do that, we need in our lives. We need those really close, faithful friends. I want to introduce you to one of my faithful friends today, someone who is close enough to me to not only enjoy the good times, but to occasionally pull me aside and point his finger at me and say, now, Tommy, you need to stop and look at this. Here he is. His name is Jeremiah, all right? And Jeremiah is one of these guys that that he can be a lot of fun. That sometimes when you're with Jeremiah, then Jeremiah just really lifts you up and you go away from that encounter thinking, wow, I feel good about myself. I feel good about that time I spent with my friend. However, Jeremiah can be a close enough friend that he can really put that finger in your face and say, you got to stop this. This is just not good. And it's good to have people like that. And Jeremiah is that way for me, and I think if you'll let him, and if you get to know him a little better, he can be that way for you as well. Let me tell you a little bit more about this friend of mine. He lived a long time ago, and he was called to be a prophet for God's people during probably the most difficult period of history for the people of God, the nation of Israel. It was during the time when the Babylonians were becoming the world power, and they were beginning to threaten the people of Jerusalem and the surrounding area. And Jeremiah was called to tell the people that they better watch out because this was going to happen, and it was going to happen because they had been unfaithful to God. 
Now, that is not a real pleasant ministry to be called to. To go and tell the people that you're about to enter into some very difficult times, but you need to stop and look at yourselves because you are the ones who are at fault. You are the ones that have gotten so far away from God that you're no longer really under the protection of God. That God had made a covenant with you, but you have broken that covenant. So as you might suspect, Jeremiah is going to spend a lot of time in confrontation. He confronted the king, which didn't go over real well. He called out the preachers, the clergy, and shook his finger in their face and told them what they were doing that wasn't good and wasn't helpful. He confronted the rich people for the way that they were exploiting the poor. He confronted all the people for the way that they were living their lives, neglecting the needy who were around them. He also confronted the poor people and said, you guys have made a lot of bad decisions in your lives as well. He confronted the people for the way they treated the foreigners that lived among them, the way they had pushed them to the edges of their society and were not concerned about them as people and what they needed. He confronted the people for the way they viewed their sexuality, and it had just become a recreational type thing, not something that was at the very heart of their being and their relationship with that one special person and their relationship with God. And then he confronted the people about their fascination with other gods. He said, you know, just any new god that comes along, any new fad, you guys are just all over that and get so excited by it, and you start going and worshiping all these new gods. And some of those gods even called for human sacrifice. And can you believe it? The people of God fell into that trap as well. When they did, Jeremiah went and bought a clay jar and called a big crowd around him and held that jar up and said, because you are worshiping the gods who are not gods, this is what God is going to do to you. And he took a big stick and whacked that thing, and it just burst into smithereens. And he said, that's what's going to happen to you. And surprisingly enough, Jeremiah even shook his fist and pointed his finger at God sometimes. Because he says, you've made me miserable. You've given me this this mission to go and to tell these people these hard things. And sometimes I turn around and I don't even think you're there to help me. You know, God took that from Jeremiah. The people, on the other hand, didn't take his confrontations very well. Whenever he told them that the Babylonians were going to come and that they were going to destroy their city, they threw him in jail. Whenever he told them that they should just give up, and allow the Babylonians to come in and cooperate with them, they called him a traitor. You know, that'd be like the coach going in before the game and saying, guys, we're going to lose, you know? Why don't we just go out there and lay down and let them run over us, and that way we won't get hurt? When he said that, they threw him into a cistern. He sank into the mud up to his armpits. And stayed there until an Ethiopian eunuch came along. There's another one of those in the Bible. And pulled him out. And finally, when it did happen, whenever the Babylonians came in and they destroyed the city, he told the people, now don't you guys go running off to Egypt. That would be the worst thing you could do. Don't run to Egypt. 
Guess where the people ran? To Egypt. And they tied him up, shanghaied him, and drug him along with them. We don't know what happened to him in Egypt, but tradition tells us that the people finally got so tired of him, they stoned him to death. Be a fitting end, wouldn't it, for such a prophet as Jeremiah? Well, today we're going to spend a little bit of time listening to Jeremiah. He may already be one of your close friends. If he's not, really the goal of my lesson time with you today is to open your hearts to maybe letting him become a close friend. Because what I did this week, instead of just focusing on one passage out of Jeremiah and trying to bring the message of that, I just sat down and read all that he had to say again and kind of highlighted those things that spoke to me. And I thought maybe if you could hear those things, maybe not every one of them, and there's probably ones I missed that, that would speak more to you, But I wanted you to hear some of his words. And some of his words are difficult to hear. And in fact, if you decide to do that, read through the whole book of Jeremiah, you're going to find that it's kind of laborious. It kind of is repetitious because he had to keep telling them the same thing because they weren't listening to him. Might also warn you that his language is a little beyond PG too. So don't be shocked about that. But he was dealing with people with hard hearts and had to get their attention. But then again, not only does he confront, he does encourage. So today we're going to begin with some of his words of confrontation, and then we'll let him move into being that encouraging friend as well. First of all, Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, God, the fountain of living water, And dug out cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that can hold no water. Now, that language is a little more relevant to them than perhaps to us. A fountain of water, a well of water, always produces water. It's always there. What are are cisterns? What are the holes or or structures that you build to catch rainwater? And those can run dry very quickly, especially if they're cracked and they leak the water. Jeremiah is pointing his finger at me and saying, Tommy, don't you know where life is found? Don't you know where you can really find the resources to live and to live well? It's God. He is like a fountain that is always flowing. You can always go and get a drink from his fountain. But Tommy has a way of finding life in other ways. Little diversions, new interest, things that I just pour myself into. And then somewhere along the way, maybe wake up and say, man, things aren't just as good as they could be. What's wrong with me? Jeremiah would point at me and say, well, where are you trying to find your life? Where are you getting your energy? Where are you getting your resources from? Are you really allowing God to be that in your life? Another time in chapter 2, verse 32, he says, Can a girl forget her ornaments, or a bride her attire, her wedding dress? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Wow. With one verse, he wiped out about half of my excuses. Right there. 
He asked the question. You know, you, you've got a, a teenage girl. I don't want to pick on you teenage girls, but, you know, they, they, you know they, they, when they're going to leave the house, they want to make sure they look good. And, and they don't fail to look in the mirror. They don't fail to put the things on that they think look cool because that's important, right? And they go on out. Or a bride. Can you imagine a bride showing up at the church for a wedding and going, oh, man, I forgot to buy a wedding dress. <laughs> well, no, she's been planning that for months. You know, half the time I make these really strong commitments. Okay, I'm going to increase my prayer time. I'm going to be regular in my prayer time. I'm going to give God more opportunity to speak to me through his word. I'm going to be more involved with helping other people and be involved in ministering to them. I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to do it. And then I just get too busy. You know, there's so much else going on or it just kind of slips my mind and I forget. And Jeremiah points his finger in our face and says, you know, you remember what's important. What you really think is important, you arrange your schedule for. And what you really think is important is not going to just slip out of your mind. And therefore, whenever God is truly that dominant being in your life, you're not going to sp- forget to spend time with him. You're going to arrange your day to spend time with him. I'm not going to ask for hands, but I wonder if that verse kind of wipes out some of your excuses as well. Jeremiah 3, 19 and 20. The Lord says, I thought how I would set you among my children and give you a pleasant land. You know, if I told you that I had a way of making you my child and I gave you a good place to live, then the most beautiful heritage of all the nations is if I gave you the best place to live on the earth and called you my children. I really thought you would be like, you would enjoy calling me father and you would not turn from following me. God said, if I just have a way of letting these folks know that I love them like kids, And that they are my children. And that they have become part of my family. And if I give them a life to live that is good, we're going to look at another one here that really talks about that, then surely they're not going to forget me. Surely they're not going to turn around and give their lives to other things. Are they? Instead, as a faithful wife leaves her husband... So you have been faithless to me. Jeremiah twelve five. this one is one that really burns on my heart. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you fall down, how will you fare in the thickets of Jordan? Jeremiah looks at me and says, you know, you have it so good. I have given you every advantage. And yet sometimes you just complain that you're so tired, that it's so tough. I want to tell you something. If you cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you cannot be a faithful child of God with all the advantages that you have now, and the life that I have given you to live then when possibly can you be? 
What more can God do for you to make it easy for you? Once again, he's given you a life where your whole life isn't consumed just trying to get food and put it in your mouth like so many millions of people have lived upon this earth. He has given you the time. He has given you the opportunity. And yet so many times, I'm just so tired. He says, Tommy, if you're tired doing what you're doing, what would you do if you really had challenges? What would you do if being my child, my disciple, was really that tough? Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Okay, if we've had enough downers, we're about to turn the corner, okay? Say, all right, Jeremiah, that's enough finger. Well, he's going to wag his finger at you and me for the first half of this verse, but Let him turn around and then encourage. By the way, this is the Apostle Paul's favorite passage. Uh, I just know that when you see Paul in heaven and say, what was your favorite passage in the whole Old Testament? Now, I don't know if he called it Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, but he would quote this passage. I know he would because he quotes it two times in his letters. And if my count is accurate and my guessing about where I see this passage behind some of the other things that he's saying, he borrows some of the language and uses the same ideas more than 30 times in his letters. So this is a passage that ran through his heart and through his head an awful lot of times, where it says this, thus says the Lord, do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Now, the word boast doesn't just mean brag. It also means that where do you get your sustenance again? Where do you draw your strength? Where do you define who you are? How do you get your self-concept? Is it your job? Is it you know, your accomplishments? Where is it that when you stop and think about, am I a good person or not? Well, where does that come from? Am I a worthy person or not? How's my life going? What do you look at? Well, he says, don't get that from your wisdom. Or do not let the mighty boast in their might. Don't let it be from your influence or from your physical strength. Or don't let the wealthy boast in their wealth. Don't let it be your bank account that defines you. You notice down there in the corner, we turned the corner now. We got the fun Jeremiah back. He's going to encourage us. Let those who boast, boast in this. That they understand and know me that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight. Where, once again, does our strength for living come from? From that relationship with God. And whenever we're wondering how things are going in life, to whom do we turn, to whom do we compare, to whom do we reach out to? but the Lord. And we know that he is a God of steadfast love, of justice, and of righteousness. And we know that we are worthwhile because we are his child and that he loves us. Because I want to tell you, you're always going to find someone smarter than you. You're always going to find someone stronger than you. You're always going to find someone that has more money than you. But you will never find anyone that God loves more than you. He loves you as much as anyone. Jeremiah 18, 2 through 4. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. 
Come and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. There were potter's houses everywhere because making vessels of clay was so important to that society. It was their storage. It was their refrigeration. It just, you know, they filled so many needs in their lives. And so there were lots of potters. He said, go down to the potter's house and, and watch him work. So he says, I go down, and there's the potter's house. He was working at his will. He's making a pot. And God says, now, watch this. And if we were to read on in the passage, we know, of course, certainly the, the parallel is between God as the potter making a vessel, which is us. The nation of Israel at this point, but it applies to each of us as individuals well, that we are like clay in his hand, and he is molding us and molding our lives into something that he wants us to be. As Jeremiah's watching, he says, the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. Something happened. He's making it up, and all of a sudden, the whole thing just collapses. Been there. Had your life collapse on you? Something happened that you thought never would happen? You realize that you're not the person you really need to be? What then? Well, you may feel like that God, like that potter, is going to take that clay that didn't work in his hand and wasn't cooperative in his hand and just throw it out and get some more and start over. Uh Uh-uh. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to him. That God will take us when we fail to respond to his touch. And when our lives collapse before him, he's not going to throw us away. We may think he might, but he won't. He keeps working us until he's worked us into a vessel that's good for his purposes. Moving along. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 48, this is one that many of you know well. For surely God says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Now, again, he's speaking of the nation of Israel, but we hear it in our times too. God has plans for us. He's got dreams for us. He says, and my plans and my dreams for you are for your welfare, not for your harm. I'm on your side. I want to work with you so that your life can be the very best life that it can possibly be. To give you a future with hope. And any time you face a future that you don't think there's any hope there, hear Jeremiah speak the words of God, that God wants to create for you a new future and a future that indeed does have hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I promise you, I'll listen to you, I will hear you. If when you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. The promise is that anyone who wants to get in touch with God will be able to get in touch with God. That if you truly seek him with all of your heart, that becomes your focus, that becomes your desire. God says, I'm not going to go hide from you. I'm going to put myself right out there in plain sight. And if that's your heart's desire, your heart's desire will be fulfilled. You will find me. And then finally, the passage that started all of this, the last one, This is the one that I was supposed to spend the whole time on, but it got me thinking about Jeremiah, and I had to go back and just do it all. But listen to these wonderful words. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand to bring them up out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke. There, you know, again, you broke it. It's your fault. Though I was their husband, says the Lord. But listen to the new covenant. 
This passage was no doubt in the heart of Jesus whenever he took that first cup of wine there at the uh, Passover meal and handed it to his disciples and said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Here it is. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God. They shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. Now we could talk a lot about what he's saying there, but one of the things that's in there is this, that you don't have to have anyone else to have a connection with God. It can be between you and him, and that he is available to you to be your God and to be your Lord and to be your Savior. That the law of God is written on our hearts, and his very being is there to be with us. And then the last of the verse, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. If you ask God to forget what you've done that's disappointed him, he says, okay. If you ask God to forget the things that have embarrassed you, he says, Okay, let's start again. I'll be there for you. I will be your God. I will work you into a new vessel. I will give you hope. Let's stand and sing.